and welcome to the inaugural episode of Sport Politique. I am Daniel Fainley, your host. This is a podcast. If again, since this is the first time uh, we have been, we have released this, this is the podcast where sports and politics intersect. This show is all about how sports and politics are are not something that can be taken away from one another, and how they are interwoven with one another and kind of looking through the lens of sports to help better understand our political atmosphere. With me today is my co-host, Zach Rubin. Zach, how are you doing? I am fantastic. I have to say I'm extremely excited to be here. Uh, As you said, when you talk about sports and politics, for people that really know, understand that they are so intertwined, and I can't wait to dive a little bit deeper into the topic that we're going to cover today. All right. I'm going to do this for all of my episodes, right? I like to ask my guests kind of what their favorite sports are, favorite teams, athletes. I'm not going to ask that about politics because I really do not like gamifying politics i think that's really damaging but i can at least ask sports and stuff to kind of you know get the guest a better feel for you know or get the listeners to get a better feel for the guest so zach uh favorite team sports athletes um definitely being born and raised in uh, upstate new york i'm jets i'm mets i'm knicks i'm rangers The only championship I've ever seen is when I was four (laughs) years old, so I barely remember it. Um, I can say politically, I like to consider myself more of an independent. Um, I like Mm -hmm. to teach my students. Um, I am a teacher that you want to look at both sides of the argument, so I definitely think that applies here. As far as some of my favorite athletes, I definitely am a big fan, not as a basketball player, but as an athlete of LeBron James, Mm -hmm. because it really is impressive how much he invests in his own physical condition. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a huge Jacob DeGrom fan. Uh, I believe that being a pitcher is one of the most physically taxing things that you can do. And even though DeGrom has been dealing with some injuries as of late, some of the things that he's able to do are quite impressive. Um, I do like Zach Wilson, although he does give me a heart attack from time to time because he moves. He has a slender frame with a cannon of an arm. I really do think mm-hmm. physically he is a bit of a, an anomaly. Thanks for sharing that, Zach. Uh, for me, I am a Chicago sports fan. I, I'm one of, since I didn't grow up in Chicago, I grew up in Iowa. I am, uh, I like both the Cubs and the White Sox. I know for some people they, they don't like that, right? Because it is, you know, like there's still some of that rivalry there. I've been pretty fortunate even though for the Bears, or, you know, like really the only team I haven't seen win a championship have been the Bears. But, you know, I've, I've gotten to see them get to a Super Bowl. I've seen the, like, ever since the Cubs won the World Series and also the White Sox when they won their World Series, it was like, you know what? I don't really need much more in life. I've witnessed something that we haven't seen since the Ottoman Empire was still around. So, you know, it's pretty good. <laughs> I will say that one, one thing that luckily you and I do share in common is our love for Notre Dame fighting Irish football. Yes. Um, Speaking of teams that haven't won a championship (laughs) since we've been alive. um, And a team that really makes it hurt. Technically, they did win a championship when I was not even a week old. So I was conscious during that time, but I was not alive when they beat West Virginia in the Fiesta Bowl. 
Honestly, if we get started, we'll take up the entire podcast time talking about literally I could go on an hour for Freeman, two hours for Reese. I mean, it could go for days, to be honest. Oh, don't worry about that. Um, The only Chicago sports team I will have to say that I do not like is the Chicago Blackhawks for fairly obvious reasons. Uh, For those of you who don't know what happened with the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, I'm not a big fan of... Let's just, or let's just say I'm not a big fan of protecting sexual predators in order to win championships. So because of that, I like I took uh, last hockey season off, and I am now going to be an Anaheim Ducks fan because I like ducks. They're 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 cool animals. I that's that's purely the reason why. <laughs> Honestly, I I don't even know how to respond to to respond to that one. I mean. <laughs> I really don't know if any duck fans cross the Midwest to the East. I mean, you'll be the first one that I literally the yeah. first one that I know. And for me, I, if I have to say favorite uh, athlete, I'm going to go with Rod Beck and uh, Jose Guillen. I like the I like the crazy guys, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I also like you know, of course, like Jordan is 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 king, right? But, you know, I always have a soft spot for the guys that are just like, uh, what do we do today? Uh, we're here to play baseball. Yeah, sure. Whatever, I guess. Or, you know, it's like or like, you know, it's kind of like that Jay Cutler syndrome of just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to throw this football. Right. OK, well, let's see if it works. <laughs> well, I don't know if you follow golf at all, but do we qualify John Daly as an athlete? I mean, oh, he yes. plays golf. He's won a major. He is he is the pinnacle know. form of male athleticism. I you he it's like him, Bartolo Colon, right? And then um and then I think that's it. I think that's I think pretty Pablo much it. Sandoval. We can also <laughs> throw Pablo Sandoval inside that conversation. Yes, we um, can. When you look at baseball, is where you like see where the beer belly is actually a benefit for your physical capabilities. Oh, yes. So now that we've kind of, uh, you know, gone over a little bit about ourselves and, you know, for the listeners, you kind of understand what the podcast is about. Let's get to today's topic. Zach, how do you feel about fantasy sports? I guess addiction would be the right (laughs) word. I have 10 teams. Um, Those are just the teams that I manage. Uh, I have friends that ask me for advice from time to time. I have like two guys that I draft for because mm-hmm. they're completely inept. So, mm-hmm. um, and then fantasy basketball, fantasy baseball, I'm in. I have been offered a slot in a fantasy hockey league. I may wow. just do it because why not? So addiction is the right word. I am probably not necessarily the polar opposite of that because I do enjoy fantasy sports. My favorite is fantasy basketball because I feel like it's the Goldilocks of between fantasy football and fantasy baseball. Fantasy baseball, uh, I only did it one time and I forgot my password like the second weekend of the season. And yet somehow I stumbled all the way to like the championship. Like somebody told me, it was like, hey, like, are you proud to get in the championship? Like, wait, what? I did that? (laughs) Baseball, I have to say, as far as recent success, that's where I've definitely carried myself the most the last four years i have uh two first place three second place and a couple of thirds 
It helped mm-hmm. pay for some of my football degeneracy, if degeneracy uh-huh. is an actual word. Um, it is a word. It's a perfectly crossed word. Basketball is definitely where I lose the most. I have plenty of third places, but honestly, basketball in general, whether it's sports betting mm-hmm. or whether it's fantasy, just frustrates me to no end. We can get into the technical aspect later, mm-hmm. but uh, to, I guess to make a long short story short, if your guys don't play enough games, you lose. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what I like a little bit with um, fantasy basketball because I'm in one fantasy football league right now with me and four other friends. It's kind of nice because if like if one of our players does get hurt, and this is the thing that really kind of annoys me with fantasy football is like one time when I was living in China, I had a uh, fantasy football with my coworkers. And this was the season where Adrian Peterson was suspended for the year because he just loved beating his kids um, to the point where they were bloodied and he got kicked out of the league or he got suspended from the league. And one guy not only drafted him, but he had a couple of other players that had like season ending injuries. And yet he still stumbled his way to third place because whenever anybody would play his team, they would just get snake bit. Right. Like it would be like, oh, yeah, like like you would like everybody averaged like 50 points against this guy. And it was like, how is that possible? Like it was the like it was like he was born with a horseshoe up his ass. Like so that's why I like that fantasy basketball, because it's not it's not heavily it's not like heavy stats like in baseball. But it's also not like a freak occurrence of where it's like, oh, yeah, you lost your quarterback. So now you're doomed. Right. Like in football. I will say. That football has evolved because there's a new style of league that's called a guillotine league. So what happens is there are no Sounds matchups. dangerous. I'm in. <laughs> the lowest scoring team every week gets eliminated and Ooh. all of their players are released from the wow. team. So every week you have a brand new pool of players that are coming in. So there's a lot to think about. Your own team, bi-week disasters waiver wire in my league it's yeah. a constantly rotating waiver wire so for example this past week i didn't make a single claim hoping mm-hmm. that i can stay alive so i'll have top priority for this coming week wow that's that's actually pretty interesting and actually that's kind of good because in this episode we're going to be talking about like how fantasy sports has evolved over time now zach how do you feel about gambling once again, addiction would probably be the word. I can't exa- I haven't exactly count. Cal- I mean, I think I probably at some point have calculated, but I kind of lost track of mm-hmm. how much annually I invest. But you have to understand that there are people out there that are just as addicted as I am, but with much, mm-hmm. much higher resources. And that's something we're definitely going to get into today. Just how large scale this has become. Oh. It is massive, right? Because that's what we're going to be going over today is because like, I want to look at how fantasy sports and gambling impacts our society. And if anybody has been kind of paying attention, we've been seeing, you know, like, even if you just watch like, you know, NFL games or something, we're getting inundated with, you know, FanDuel or, you know, DraftKings and, you know, these types of ads. And really because of the daily fantasy sports, which we'll get to, pretty much leads to why gambling has started to spread more across the United States. 
First of all, let's begin with what is fantasy sports, right? Because I'm sure there are people here who have maybe, like they maybe know of the name, but they don't know exactly what it is. Fantasy sports is, it's a simulation. It's kind of like, if you if you want to think of it this way, for people who are more nerdy, right? It's kind of like a, like a tabletop RPG, right? It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, like in a way, somewhat like Dungeons and Dragons, except there's no dice, right? Where you play this, you know, fantasy general manager. So you draft real players onto fake teams. Like for example, Tom Brady does not play on the same team as Cooper Cup. Tom Brady plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Cup plays for the Los Angeles Rams. But in fantasy sports, you can place both of those players on the same team. This basically, like I said, lets people become general managers of a sports team, but they don't have to worry about all the other stuff like contracts or managing players' egos. Pretty much, I feel like the very distilled essence of what fantasy sports is. Zach, would you like to add anything that I missed there? Um, I definitely agree in the sense that it gives you the opportunity to live out the dream of being a general manager. But I think when we look at fantasy sports, that real-time decision-making also comes into play. Mm -hmm. um, your roster is so much more limited I mean, you can't just put all of your players on injured reserve. Um, yeah. You can't just keep got. You can't just expand your bench. So there's a lot more real time decision making that you have to make. Um, mm -hmm. I say that the only difference between maybe Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy sports is that you are relying on real life people uh -huh. to produce in a real life way. As a per, I mean, obviously the luck factor is involved. I know so many mm -hmm. people that have played for the first time and won. Yeah. But also it is, and also I have friends that are the auto pick kings that let mm -hmm. the computer do the draft for them and they win. But there are still decisions that have to be made, and and those decisions greatly affect the success or lack of success. And also another key difference is that in fantasy sports, there are no like half orcs. So there's also that because let's face it, if there, I do know of an actual game that is like fantasy football where it's called Blood Bowl. But every time that I look at it, it's like this game takes eight hours to play. And I'm like, yeah, no, I can't invest that time. I, I need to do other things. In all fairness, for people that example play football with fantasy football with defensive players aaron donald could be a half orc yeah yeah <laughs> i mean that would explain his violent outbursts a little bit there let's start off with the history of fantasy sports the first fantasy sports were actually developed in the 19th century and zach if you had to take a guess of where fantasy sports started or which sport started fantasy sports which what would you take as a guess actually i don't have to guess because i know it was mm -hmm. baseball. Fantasy yep. baseball was the first sport. Um, it was invented, if I'm not mistaken. I have my my data here. It was William Gamson. It was a sociologist at Harvard University. Yep, it was. Um, I mean, there's a couple of ways to look at this, right? Because when we look at the birth of fantasy sports, there's couple. There's a kind of different ways of like where we see it at. And of course, it starts with baseball because baseball fans are the biggest nerds out of like all of the big American sports. Even though they don't want to admit it, they are they are gigantic nerds with the amount of stats they need to know and what they look for. In That's the game. what I was going to say. They are the stat guys. They are the ones that crunch mm -hmm. the numbers. Then and and this is the 1980s. We're not even talking about the recent bump and boom in analytics. Yeah. 
And with what you're saying is within the 1980s, but actually you could trace fantasy baseball even further back, right? When we think of modern fantasy baseball or modern fantasy sports starts off in the 1980s, but actually fantasy sports goes, like I said, all the way back to like the 1800s. In fact, like it talks about here, like um, the game, basically what happened was this, there was a board game, right? That allowed participants to simulate baseball games by propelling a coin into slots on a wooden board. Um, Later, this game would, you know, again, feature dice rolls and spinners. So again, like that tabletop RPG analogy kind of is somewhat rooted in there. To uh, take a quote here, let's see, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Quote, less than two years later after General Robert E. Lee's surrender at Apponox Courthouse in Virginia, the American Civil War in April 1865, a group of 10 women and four men calling themselves the Recreation Club of Brooklyn gathered on December 8, 1866 to play in an in-home wooden tabletop game called Sebring Parlor Baseball. That much was reported on December 22, 1866, when the New York Clipper newspaper ran a story entitled Baseball in the Parlor. Yeah, like I said, Zach... Fantasy sports is almost as old as the, as, uh, the Civil War. <laughs> and I think that that makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. as, as human beings, we really do want to find those ways to, to live out mm-hmm. those unrealistic fantasies. I think when we all reach a crossroads at university or in our, in our lives, we do mm-hmm. either go for the risk or make the realistic decision. And for those of us that make the realistic decision, I think fantasy sports does allow us to kind of fill that missing block. I know it definitely does for myself and makes me feel that I'm still a part of the game. Right. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because, again, like the big takeaway that I found out from this was that it was women that really kind of started this. Right. Like, yeah, there were four other guys, but this was 10 women who, you know, because at the time women really couldn't play baseball. I mean, there would there would be women's baseball that would come out, but again, that was very much in the minority that's there. So again, it's a way for you know people like you said who you know it's like well I can't do this in real life, but what they would do is that you know it's like hey like me as a woman right I can't play baseball you know because it's 1866 you know we just got rid of slavery like a year ago so let's not rock the boat too much here. Right. And I also think that, I mean, women, girls and women are developmentally more creative in so many ways. So it doesn't surprise me at all to believe that that women were able to come up with such a creative solution. Because how this game would play is that it's kind of like imagine in a way like. Uh, paper football except you have like a little wooden board and then they would roll the coin basically to where there's a spring-loaded bat and then you hit it and then it would go and fall into like one of these slots so like if you hit it in between like let's say where the shortstop is maybe that's a double play right if you hit it in like shallow right field then that's a single or something so depending on where it goes it does that and it wasn't just kind of just simulating the game right because what they would do is that they would split to teams onto seven per side and they would simulate a full nine inning baseball game and they would keep recorded statistics. And the production of this data and its recording 
basically by a respected media outlet, they call this like interesting and a novel contest. This not only suggests that there was an appetite for fans to imagine themselves playing in, you know, a professional game, right? But also for third parties to reproduce the outcome. Absolutely. And look, look at the way it's Mm -hmm. evolved today. Right. I'm sorry. When we're talking about fantasy football today, I mean, if you look at the numbers, I mean, we're talking over 60 million people, maybe just just talking about Mm -hmm. the U.S. and Canada. Right. For those of you who I was going to say, for those of you who don't know, uh, Zach and I met while we taught in Mexico together. We're still both in Mexico. And I don't know about you, but I would even have students where I would be walking around and they'd go like, hey, Mr. Fainley, who would you start? And I'm like, you got to go over economics. What are you doing? Right? Like, I can't help you with your fantasy sports team right now. I need you to focus on supply and demand here, buddy. I think I can one-up you. I was even in a league. I was in a fantasy football and then in a fantasy baseball league with some of our ex-students because it it was a great way to connect with them. It was a common medium. And I remember you and I were both in a league for basketball. Like I told the students is, like I said, for fantasy basketball, I'm actually pretty decent at. The The worst I've ever got has been second place in a fantasy basketball league. But on the flip side, the best I've ever gotten has been second. Um, What I can say is that as far as fantasy basketball, my results are so middling. (laughs) You are the Cleveland Cavaliers of, or I guess maybe in this case, the New York Knicks of fantasy basketball. Just just barely getting by. (laughs) Absolutely. Very much so. So in 1930, Clifford Van Beek designed a board game called National Pastime, which contained customized baseball cards of major league baseball players. So basically what happens is that you would roll dice, right? Both both people would roll a pair of dice and participants would consult the card of the major league baseball player at bat to determine an outcome, right? So this could range from a single to a home run to a strikeout or to an error. And players with better statistics in the previous season were more likely to receive favorable outcomes. This allowed National Pastime to become one of the first games to kind of attempt to like accurately simulate the performance of real live major league baseball players. And I can say that I, I played, um, I played a more modern version of it when I was away at summer camp in the two thousands. It was exactly what you described, except the cards were beautiful. Some, some of them were hologram. I still remember having an Albert Mm -hmm. Pujols, a Troy gloss. I remember trading. I mean, trading these cards was one of the highlights of the summer. I mean, I never had a chance to play this, but I feel like if I would, I'd trade all those cards away for Rod Beck's glorious mustache. Do yourself a favor, listener. Google Rod Beck and you'll see his mustache. And you know when you see a, a man like that up on the pitcher's mound. I mean, there, I mean there's no way that you're going to be able to, to just, you know, focus on the ball. It was just unfair. It's almost as elegant as the David Wells bald head. <laughs> power stash combo from the, the 90s. only thing that i could see is that i feel like if um if david bell could somehow play without a hat he could use like the lights of yankee stadium to possibly blind the batters because it was it was perfect it's almost like a perfect circle how his head was absolutely so kind of continuing on with the evolution of it uh later computers would be involved in fantasy sports like there was uh the stratomatic but again, these early fantasy sports would be more like what ifs 
situations, right? They could not simulate full seasons. So what it would be like is if we were to use like this stratomatic, it would be like, well, who would win in a game? Would it be the 1972 Miami Dolphins or the 85 Bears? Or would it be this team with these players could beat this team with these players? So we still don't even have like what we know as fantasy sports. But where we start to get that is actually kind of in the 1950s with fantasy golf. And if you think about it, this kind of really plays into what we would know as as fantasy sports, Zach. Because what people would do is that they would pick teams of golfers, right? And then they would look at how they performed in the real world and then track their team success throughout the season. So even though fantasy baseball is technically the first in a way... Really, if we want to look at it of like the again, this is why I say like it's hard to pinpoint because if you want to look at it more of like of of how we look at it in a modern way, it's actually in the 1950s with golf. And I mean, at the end of the day, God only knows how many guys in their basement or in their garage with their group of friends somehow developed some form of way to track statistics in order to kind of get keep them interested. I mean, mm-hmm. as I'm a New York sports fan, but if the Mets are out of contention by July or August, I still want to have a way to continue watching the sport. Yeah. And that's kind of what fantasy sports allows you to do. Cause I mean, with both you and me being like, well, I'm a bears fan and you're a jets fan. Things don't usually go well for us, but at least through again, the lens of fantasy sports, it's like, well, yeah, my team might stink, but you know, I win through this other, like I win with this other team. And it can be even argued that it's even more. It's like, I'm the greatest fantasy general manager of all time. Now that there's big cash prizes, trophies, punishments for the last place. I mean, things have become Mm -hmm. very intricate. Yeah. It starts getting to the point of where, like you said, it is like a, it is bragging rights, right? Because let's face it, every, um, I I feel like every sports fan kind of has that like armchair, quarterback if you will right like oh why do they do this if they just do this and you know they would do all right if they just did that they would do all right and i can't speak in the realm of i can't speak for the world of a general manager but i can say as a as a coach right for of just various sports like i wish it was that easy (laughs) where i could just be like do this and then everything works out (laughs) yeah i mean it would be so nice to be able to have an ipad where you're watching a live t a live um, feed of CBS during the NFL game and saying, "Oh my God, now I see what this crazy fan is talking about. Why didn't I mm-hmm. think of that?" I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. it's easy to do it when you're Tony Romo looking up from the eagle eye, but when you're on the field, when you're eye level with mm-hmm. what's going on, when you have to adapt as you go. I mean, we're talking about two completely different realms of thought. Oh. Yes, as somebody who played quarterback for one year, it is terrifying being a quarterback. (laughs) Going back to where you said, Zach, in uh, 1980, that's kind of where the Rotisserie League Baseball was founded. So this was a collection of baseball writers who who created a uh, point system, and they followed baseball player stats throughout the season since it was their jobs, and it was very easy. And it's somewhat that I say, too, of world history, right? Like, well, what is modern world history, right? Do you start at the industrial revolution, right? Do you start 
after uh, the Second World War? Do you start after World War One, or kind of the lead up to around World War One? And you can kind of make your cases for all of them, or even if you want to get to even more of a case, right? Say like, well, after the end of the Cold War, right, or September 11th, or something like that. And it's it's really fascinating when you see this because. When we really look at fantasy sports, this is where it really takes hold is now in the 1980s because for it really starts off with baseball writers and they can follow the stats and then it kind of just goes like, hey, what are you guys doing in the in the booth? Oh, I'm doing my fantasy sports. And then it spreads throughout, you know, the journalists who, again, are just even bigger nerds than what baseball fans are because – you know, they're journalists. I have to say, Dan, when it comes to the topic that we're talking about today, I think that we're really talking about maybe like a reset or a reawakening mm-hmm. of the of the fantasy sports model. Because I think mm-hmm. that that this infusion of official gambling, this infusion of daily fantasy sports, mm-hmm. this creation of companies that are 100% dedicated to fantasy sports. Mm-hmm. I think what we've seen now is we've really seen a completely new phase. I think it's like the age of technology. Yeah. Things escalated so quickly. Mm-hmm. And actually, yeah, because it still kind of does this. Like you'd see like even in like USA Today in like I think like 1995 they started – publishing a fantasy baseball uh like little column and stuff but really like you said zach it's true right pretty much fantasy sports were growing but it really didn't hit mainstream until the internet becomes a thing when it gets into the late 90s and the early 2000s and you have computers who can do all the calculations for you that's when fantasy sports really take off for better and for worse because people that are listening that have played fantasy sports Every one of us is probably awakened to that half of a point adjustment to our fantasy score that completely screws us out of a win. Yeah. Or like I said, you just get some horrible luck the day of not even of like a player getting injured, but it's like, oh, yeah, this player got suspended because you you find out that, you know, they do some horrible, horrible stuff in their free time. And it's like, why? If I would have known this, I would have never have picked them. So. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to kind of start going more into uh, the gambling aspect of this. So anyways, here are some ads. And we are back. So you just got done listening to some ads talking about, you know, stuff that you should buy. Well, this is, I think, the perfect lead-in to talking about how fantasy sports became an industry. Because for those of you who don't know, fantasy sports are a big business. From the stats that I found from 2017, quote, fantasy sports is a $7.22 billion industry, according to new research conducted by Ipsos marketing for the Fantasy Sports Trade Association. Additionally, a study revealed that there are 59.3 million fantasy sports players in the United States and Canada. So, Zach, you mentioned earlier that it was like 60 million? Yes, and 
And then when we want to talk about the revenue and the market size, I mean, we are talking about almost a $3 billion increase in the last decade alone. I mean, we're talking yeah. billions. I mean, it, a bill, not millions, billions. That's insane. And this, is, and this isn't just necessarily looking at a global market of this, right? This is just looking at the United States and Canada. Like I said earlier, Zach and I have, uh, you know, students who are into fantasy sports down here in Mexico. And obviously there's places in other places of Latin America, you know, in uh, Europe, everywhere around the world, right? Fantasy sports is, is ginormous. I mean, to give you again of how big this is, right? Um, the, the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, which is an organization that aims to support fantasy sports, sports gambling in general, and its associated businesses and participants, right? So this trade association is basically a lobbying group for fantasy sports. I mean, not just for gambling as well in general and for sports betting, but you can see how like this is how big of a business fantasy sports is. It's big enough of a business to be like, hey, maybe we should like, it, you know, influence, I say with quotation marks, some Congress people to, you know, vote certain ways when it comes to this Like stuff. cigarettes all over again. Yeah, except um, I don't think that, uh, you know, you won't get emphysema from, you know, fantasy baseball. Very true, but I'm glad that we brought this up because I think that when it gets to this point and when lobbyists get involved, I think we begin to see that that's because there are a lot of people that have taken this passion or this addiction to another level. Now, when I said earlier, I'm an addict to fantasy mm -hmm. sports and I'm an addict to gambling. In reality, I know when to draw the line. I, I don't, I don't gamble right. my rent. I don't gamble my, my utility payments or my car payment, but I don't think I can say the same for every single person that participates in fantasy sports. Yeah, and that's why I also tend to limit my fantasy sports to just doing it more for fun and even for me for gambling because I mentioned I, I'm not the biggest gambler. And that's because one time I went gambling and I was at a craps table for my 21st birthday. Within like 20 minutes, I or no, like within 30 minutes, I turned $20 into $400. The feeling that I had, I was just in shock. I was shaking. Many a well uh, whiskey was drank just to get my nerves back from under me. And when I did end up cashing out, I was like, oh, so this is what, how gambling addiction works. I, I get why people can get addicted to this because it was such of a rush. I can say because I was uh, a semi-professional poker player for six years I've seen the highs of the highs, but I've also seen the lows of the lows, not just in myself, mm -hmm. but you see these people in the casino that you play with and mm -hmm. you know from the look on their face that they really can't afford to lose what they're losing. But at the same time, you really can't stop yourself from playing because you know what the mm -hmm. risk was, same as them. So it's a really difficult situation. And even though fantasy football is fun and it gives you three, four, five months of entertainment or any any fantasy sport mm -hmm. gives you months of entertainment, what you have to think about is there is such a thing as excess. I mean, yeah, it's just like it's just like anything in life, right? Like if you start doing too much of it, 
may it's it start i mean it starts having negative ramifications for you absolutely mm-hmm. and again i think that these daily fantasy sites do an even better job of hiding the gambling addiction phone number on their webpage mm-hmm. better than most places do and i don't even think yahoo needs to yahoo's and was one of the biggest fantasy sports providers that there is. And I don't even think they have to say, well, if you have an addiction, please call this number. Well, that's actually a really good point that you're, that you uh, made there, Zach, because now we're getting into more of a legal definition of our fantasy sports gambling. Unlike traditional sports betting, fantasy sports are viewed as what is called a game of skill rather than a game of chance. So there, so that thereby exempts fantasy sports from gambling bans and regulations in many jurisdictions. So what we mean by the difference between a game of skill and a game of chance. Think of if you go to a casino and you know you're playing craps, you're at a slot machine, it's um Baccarat, even though none of us know what Baccarat is. We just see James Bond do it and we think, hey, maybe I'll give that a try. It might it might make me look sophisticated. And then you just lose all your money because no one knows what Baccarat is. Or roulette or whatever. That's a game of chance because you can't control in a way of like how the dice roll or, you know, what cards you're getting or which way the ball is going to bounce. However, though, for a game of skill, think of that more of like you're at a carnival, right? And you got to throw the baseball uh, at the milk cans, right? Or you got to shoot the BB gun and hit so many ducks to get the giant teddy bear. Those are games of skill where they're not under as much um, scrutiny as a casino is because it still allows you as an individual some sort of control or more control in a way than, you know, what cards come up or, you know, how the dice fall or how the dice roll. Interrupt you there for a second, because I'm glad you brought up carnival Mm -hmm. games because anyone who's been to a carnival knows that those games are rigged to some extent. Yeah. They bend the rules. Definitely. Exactly. And I think that, Fantasy sports may have found their way to be the carnival game in the sense that, oh, yeah, it's a game of skill, but we know how to stack the deck if you play against us. And that's kind of why, again, too, of like when you look at for what we thought for a very long time of how fantasy sports was going to be, which was you play for an entire season. You place, you know, your money on, you know, for an entire, like you would chip into a pool, right? And whoever gets third place maybe might get their money back or second place gets maybe like, you know, 30% of the pot. And then first place gets like, you know, 60 or 50% of the pot. To me, that's gambling. In my research for this, I found it best from Jets legend Joe Namath when they asked him, like, is fantasy sports game? And he goes, do you put money on it? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, and can you win or lose the money? Yeah, then it's gambling. I couldn't agree more. And I think that a company that goes out of their way, like fantasy sports does in certain senses, mm-hmm. especially with daily fantasy, are doing exactly what certain casinos are doing with their advertising. So is it gambling? I mean, you're risking the money. So whether it's a casino, whether it's a bookie, or whether it's a commissioner of the league, the money's going somewhere. And there is a 1 in 12 or a 1 in 10 chance that it's not coming back to you. Yes, exactly. And that's what we look at for daily fantasy sports, right? Because – you know, Zach and I have been saying daily fantasy sports over and over again. And 
what daily fantasy sports are is that it's a shorter version of your traditional fantasy sports. So instead of a season, daily fantasy sports might be conducted over a week or a single day of competition. And what makes this a lot different is that many media companies and even sports leagues, teams, and owners are in, have invested in these daily fantasy sports companies. Daily fantasy sports is going nowhere, right? If Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, says like, this is going to be a thing and I want this to be okay in our league, by God, it's going to happen. Well, I also actually, I want to interrupt you there for a second because uh, a friend of mine is a very big professional wrestling, WWE, and the new one, I think it's called AEW. And for yep. their, paper, their pay-per-view events are sponsored by mm -hmm. DraftKings. And you can actually put up money and you can gamble on the result of predetermined matches, ladies and gentlemen. Or they give you a bunch of crazy things that could happen during one match and say, will this happen or will this won't happen? We are talking about wrestling, which has been 100% proven to be scripted. It is no different than days of our lives, ladies and gentlemen, other than the fact that people actually physically exert themselves and hurt themselves. Days of our lives is a daytime soap opera, for those of you that are not aware. And the daily fantasy sports world has even gotten into this. So I think that tells you just where we are as far as this situation. It's good that you brought up pro wrestling because – as a pro wrestling fan, kind of myself, I've, I've seen that too. And I'm like, really? Like you mentioned, they do give things of like, how is the match going to end? Is it going to be a pinfall? Is it going to be a, a submission? Is it going to be somebody taking a chair shot? Is this going to happen? And that going to happen? And it's, it's mind boggling in a way of where it's like, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, I feel like the next step is like daily fantasy Netflix. And like, how is, how is the third season of Bridgerton going to end? Or like, you know, who's going to win the Squid Games? Like, I feel like that's how it's going to be in a way, right? I can tell you for a fact that in the year 2000, I I really hope I get the year right. You, you would maybe know better than I am as a film buff. The 2011-2012 okay. year, um, I won $600 betting on Christoph Waltz to be best supporting actor for his role in Django Unchained. So that just tells you the levels of which gambling itself has gotten. Yeah, that I, I think that was 2012, 2013. It would have been around that time period. Yeah, I, I feel safe with going 2012. Yeah, but I mean, it, it just it goes back to this point that gambling as it is has this capability or this method to, to branch into all aspects of life. And now you're preventing something called fantasy sports in which people can live out their dreams without actually having to make day-to-day -day decisions worth hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. I mean, where did I sign up? I mean, I can tell you I signed up in the year like 2000 and I don't know, probably 2006, 2007 before I graduated high school. Like I know for um, this of like when we're talking about daily fantasy sports, it's the reason why we see their ads 
every 90 seconds during sporting events. I mean, it's, it's nice that now since we're in Mexico and you know, like for me, whenever I have to watch college football, I don't have to watch the same ads there because of like the things that are set up through ESPN. I know of like, whenever I have to watch um, like the NFL and we have to pirate these games, uh, you see these ads for FanDuel and for DraftKings so often. And the way that how they advertise too, like you mentioned, Zach, it's like, hey, here's some free money and you can just go ahead and win all of this stuff. Here's the thing though. For a while, that's not how fantasy sports or daily fantasy sports worked. In fact, there was some really shady stuff that was going on. I don't know, Zach, were you familiar with any of this stuff? Not necessarily. What I can say is that it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's a shame to say, but fantasy sports has definitely gotten that mossy underbelly and we're beginning to really see it. And it really does make me sad that these daily fantasy companies are making the types of offers that they make that casinos would make to the elderly to get them to come play the slot machines. Yeah. Cause there was a while there when daily fantasy sports kind of really started taking off. They would emphasize so much like we're a game of skill. We're a game of skill. We're a game of skill, you know, trying to make it look like, you know, we're not a game of chance. And when they would have these like commercials where they would show like, Oh yeah, this guy, you know, won a half a million dollars by placing a $20 bet or this or that. Sometimes those people were FanDuel or uh, DraftKings employees, right? They would have inside knowledge of what to do and what not to do. Also, there would be other people who, you know, like you said, that are your professional gamblers. And they just have essentially algorithms and computers who make their decisions for them. And really for the average person, you don't really have much of a shot to compete against these people. I will say that I know for at least for daily fantasy, they were, they have been better at like, you know, like, Hey, we'll try and group people based on ability levels better and do these, you know, and also to crack down on the inside information that's being exchanged because, uh, it started getting a lot of unwarranted attention for them. Uh, once the, once the government starts sniffing around, you know, Sometimes people decide that, hey, maybe this is the time that we, you know, uh, we clean up our act. Or maybe it's time that we stick the warning label on, as I said before, in the smallest possible font you can find. Yeah, because like, again, like I said, around like 2015, 2016-ish, uh, some states, uh, the big one that I saw was New York. They were looking to outright ban daily or basically declare daily fantasy sports as gambling. But these court cases never went through or anything, or this legislation never went through because in 2018, the Supreme Court ruling in uh, Murphy versus the National Collegiate Athletic Association, also known as the NCAA, came out and basically legalized sports gambling across the United States. Surprise! Surprise! It is the, by the way, uh, listeners, it is the official position of this podcast. We do not like the NCAA. So anytime, whenever the NCAA goes to the Supreme Court, that's, oh boy, that's like getting a like JV middle school team to go up and play against the University of Alabama. Like it's always a bloodbath. And whenever it happens, I always am happy. And I gotta say, I mean, although... I don't agree with where the funding came from, from the LIV Golf League. Maybe college football should take a page out of that book and branch off and go independent. 
in a way, we will definitely be talking about that, those topics in a completely different episode because uh, Live Golf is, and Saudi Arabia in general and how they've been going about how, you know, they, you know, how they've been kind of like sports washing their reputation, deserve its own episode. And also when looking at the future of collegiate sports is is kind of the wild west right now it's all but it was really interesting was that right after this court case you know FanDuel and DraftKings overnight became sports book companies i always so like whenever they were talking about oh yeah it's a game of it's a game of uh skill it's a game of skill it's a game of skill and then right when it's like hey like gambling is legal like no 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 we're a game of chance we are blackjack we are not the bb we are not the bb gun duck game anymore now as of this recording, 23 states allow daily sports. 22 states allow some companies, so they might allow like Yahoo or FanDuel or DraftKings, but they won't allow others just, just because they have to kind of iron out some of the details or, you know, it's like, or it's sometimes it's just because of like, hey, we don't necessarily like this company, how they do it exactly. And, you know, five states have uh, more restrictions than others. Those five states being Washington, Idaho, Montana, Hawaii, and probably the least surprising uh, state on the list, Nevada. Surprise, surprise. I mean, obviously, Nevada wants everything to be all-inclusive, and that includes their losers. Yes. So um, we're going to go back to ads, and, you know, I think I'll do this for the first time on this podcast. I'm going to promote the state of Nevada. I've, I've never been there, but go to Nevada. Anyways, here's ads. I have been to Nevada and I can say the most fun place to lose your money. Go Nevada. (laughs) Yep. Go Nevada. Here are ads. And we are back. All right. So to finish this episode, I want us to look at kind of gambling's effects on society. Now, when we're talking about gambling, even though I'm not necessary for it, I'm not a big proponent on banning gambling because gambling has been a thing since the Neolithic era. And for those of you who don't know how long ago that was, that's about, you know, 16,000 years it's gambling's not going anywhere, but um, gambling to pretty much just like everything in this world has both positive and negative effects. And it's hard to kind of find reliable data on this topic because some of the information is biased, right? And it's also difficult to measure um, the aggregate of uh, social impacts with that of financial impacts that arrive to some sort of overall summative measure, right? It's kind of hard to measure like So how damaging is it when, you know, a family gets broken apart because of gambling addiction, right? You can't really put that into numbers, really. I'm going to start with the positives, okay? So analysis from these empirical studies show that the most reliable impact across gambling is that there is an increase in government revenue. There's also a small increase in infrastructure value, but it's only really regulated to like the surrounding area of the newly built casino. Uh, From one paper that I found, quote, the introduction of gambling often has beneficial impacts on other businesses in the local area in terms of increased revenue. Business starts and overall employment when a significant portion of its patron base is outside the area. So really, that's the key thing of when you're looking at the financial benefits of gambling is that you have to pull in people from outside 
the place where the casino is located. And lastly, just to kind of wrap up this, gambling is fun and it's entertaining and that can have some psychological benefits. But again, it's hard to know exactly how much that is. So, uh, Zach, how do you feel about the positives of gambling? Um, Well, I do believe it's a great leisure activity. I mean, the idea that you can take $20 and turn it into $1,000, I mean, it's enticing. In many ways, it does represent the American dream. This concept of the American dream that's been criticized by Arthur Miller or praised by um, a number of different authors that I could think of. At the end of the day, it really truly does represent opportunity and a chance to provide. And there are success stories. I mean, there are people that have won the lottery. There are people that have hit it big on the slot machines. I mean, the chance is there. But as I be the one to flip the coin, if there's an anonymous for it, that means it's a problem. And it's a problem that people are too ashamed to publicly announce. Alcoholics Anonymous, Drug drug Addicts Anonymous, Neurotics Anonymous, there is a Gamblers Anonymous. And I think that tells you a lot. Not just because there's an organization for it, but because there's an anonymous organization where the people that go to this are ashamed of what they've done. Right. Because the negatives are are based on pretty much we see this increases in gambling addiction, bankruptcy, uh, divorce, suicide, substance abuse and income inequality. So I kind of want to explain how these negatives work when we look at gambling. So for gambling addiction, well, that's pretty obvious. If you gamble, you know, like we talked about, it can get addicting for bankruptcy. It makes sense because, you know, once people uh, they start betting, then they start betting way more than what they can actually give without it getting dangerous. And that leads to, you know, uh, people losing their houses, families splitting up to suicide, where people feel like the only way out is, you know, by killing themselves, uh, substance abuse to try and uh, numb the pain of like losing a ton of money. And then for income inequality, the reason why for this is actually because of when we look at people who go to gamble, right? It's not saying that like poor people gamble more than rich people, but poor people are more likely to gamble more of their money. Because, you know, if, hey, if I put down this $20, like, you know, if you have a rich person or a poor person, right, you put down $20, that $20 for the rich person is like, yeah, yeah, that's 20 bucks. But to that poorer person, that $20 means a lot more to, you know, what they can do than, you know, for, you know, the guy who owns a yacht or whatever. Absolutely. And I think that, I mean, you and I living in Mexico understand how drastic the disparity in income can be for certain people. And yet... We still see people on the lower end of the spectrum at the casinos, mm-hmm. more so than the people who do have money. I, the last thing I do want to talk about when we're talking about this is crime, because gambling and crime are related, right? But the impact that gambling has on crime is complex and the results are mixed. So this is from a paper that I found that discusses about this is that, quote, theoretically, the introduction of legal gambling should influence crime rates in one of several ways. One way is by decreasing the rate of illegal gambling, which tends to have a fairly reliable effect. Because let's face it, if you have legal gambling, if you have, or I'm sorry, if you have illegal gambling, right, usually if you can't pay up, ah, well, I guess you don't need your thumbs anymore. Or it's what we think about, you know, like with- By the order of the Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Or actually I did do a little bit of history, or I did 
listen to a podcast about how card shark or you know like loan sharks they wouldn't necessarily like break bones or anything they would more or less like give you um i mean they'd give you injuries but not enough to where it's like well you can't work anymore like they would they would do other things to you but yeah that's one thing uh a second to continue on this quote a second is by increasing the number of problem gamblers a minority of which will engage in crimes primarily property crimes such as burglary theft or arson right to support their gambling a third is because certain forms of gambling for example casinos offer increased opportunities for illegal activity to occur such as you know using counterfeit money money laundering and just you know, just cheating while you're playing. A fourth is by creation of venues that serve alcohol and thereby potentially contribute to also alcohol-related offenses and slash or venues that disproportionately attract a clientele with criminal tendencies. And a fifth and final way is by increasing the overall number of visitors to an area, right? Because obviously if you have more crime or you have, I'm sorry, if you have more people in a particular area, the likelihood of crime increases because we only have one. Per- and I yeah. think that, go ahead. And I think that when you bring it in and we look at, for example, fantasy sports, mm-hmm. now we're talking about the da- Now we're really talking about the danger. You don't have to drive to a casino. Uh-huh. You just have to sit in your house, sit in your job, be anywhere at any moment, be bored for just one second and put that money onto your account and make that play. That's where it's so dangerous. That's where people make those mistakes. Yeah, and that's why, at least when we're looking at for fantasy sports, right? Obviously, we're not really going to see a lot of crime-related elements to this, but what we would see more of is, again, the the bankruptcy, the divorce, the suicide, substance abuse, income inequality, and even still, you know, it could lead to, you know... Um, fraud and taking maybe people stealing to support their fantasy sports habit but i feel like that's a little bit of a of a bridge too far maybe or it's it's something that's within the realm of possibility but might be very small but anyways with that being said in most situations the impacts of gambling tend to be mixed with a range from because again you have to look at this as various case studies right because if you put a casino in this one location compared to that location or in this city, the that city, we're going to see mixed results with a range from positive economic impacts that are usually offset to mild to moderate negative social impacts. So Zach, that's it for our episode. Do you have any final thoughts? I just, the last thing that I wanted to comment on this topic is that it really is a shame that governments were on the right side of this argument and understood how important it was to regulate, and in some cases, even segregate gambling. And to see how weakened that stance has become, I think it really is, it's tough, it's sad, because we're going to begin seeing some real serious consequences in the sense of people that are really beginning to struggle. And they're going to have more access to the sickness than the cure. Yeah, and I don't know, like, I'm not the... Like, I know you mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, Zach, but I'm much more of probably a, an anarchist if I would have to kind of classify myself. So I'm not a big proponent of uh, necessarily of just governments in general, right? But I do believe in, uh, like you said, like not necessarily government regulations, but more along the lines of some way to support these people. Because like we, because like we said, gambling's going nowhere. Right. You can't just say like, oh, well, let's just 
either get rid of it or keep it, right? No, you need to have like options for people to get the help that they need, right? Or to make sure that, you know, for me personally, what I actually think is that, you know, maybe we shouldn't have people that are so desperate that they feel like they have the need to gamble in order to, you know, try and make a living to support themselves or their families. Maybe that's just a radical idea that I got. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Dan. I was really, really glad to cover this topic. And I think it's definitely one that was worth highlighting. All right, um, Zach, but before you go, do you have anything to plug? G-E-T-S, Jets, 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 Zach Wilson. Let's go ahead and get us moving on forward. Um, No, honestly, uh, this is a fantastic podcast. And I definitely think that the future episodes are worth tuning into. Oh, yes. Actually, with that being said, the For my plugs, I would like to plug our website. You can find us at sportpoliticpodcast.com where you can listen to all of our episodes and find all the sources that we use for the episodes. Also, you can find us on Twitter at spolitique, with a K, podcast. That will be it for today's episode. You all have a good day. I'll see you all later. 